Okay, good morning and welcome to the Kids Takeover service again. My name is Liz Machel and I oversee the children's ministry here. And I love these times when we get to all be together as a church family and the kids take over and they show the rest of the church what they do in Vineyard Kids. And today, kids, I want us to think about what we can learn about God's faithfulness and from what he's done in the lives of some of the grown-ups in our church family. And then think about how we can share that with some of our friends. The working title for this talk was Pass It On. Um, But in light of what's going on in our world, I think maybe we might need to scrap that. But that's the idea. We're passing our faith, and only our faith, on to the people around us. Um, So in a minute, we're going to think about a story in the Bible from Joshua 3 and 4. And we'll watch a video that tells that story. And we're thinking about this idea of how we pass our faith from one generation to the next. And this bit of the Bible is full of that idea of generations and passing on the knowledge of God's faithfulness and his wonders. This is a story from the Old Testament, and it comes after God has rescued his people from Egypt with Moses as their leader, which is one of the really big stories of the Old Testament. Our story today is one that we might get mixed up with that more famous Exodus story, as there are loads of similarities. I'm sure many of you know that Exodus story. God rescues his people from Egypt and he performs 10 miraculous signs to show Pharaoh his power and to persuade him to let God's people go. And then God's people escape from Egypt and they find themselves at the Red Sea with no way through. It looks like there's no way, but God makes a way and miraculously parts the waters and they walk through and on on dry land. And as we watch this video, which tells our story from Joshua, I'm sure you'll see the similarities. But this story we're looking at today actually happens quite a lot later than our Exodus story. God's people should have walked out of Exodus and into the promised land in about two weeks. It wasn't all that far. Um, They'd seen God do some amazing things as he rescued them, but they don't yet trust God's faithfulness. Um, And they don't trust him yet to keep his promise to give them the new land. So they send some spies into the promised land to see what it's like, and mostly they bring back very scary reports. It's a lovely land, but their people are giants. And the people, when stuff gets scary and frightening, they don't trust God and they refuse to go in. Who knows how long it is before God's people actually make it into the promised land? Shout it out if you know. 40 years. 40 years. So they're in the desert for 40 years. And our story today comes at the end of those 40 years. It tells us that the people who were adults who crossed the Red Sea have now died. And all the children who were there are grown up and more children have joined them. This is a new generation. Even Moses has now died. And the only people who are adults that are left are Joshua and Caleb, because they were the two spies who went into the promised land and saw the scary people, but said, God can do it. We trust God will take us into the land. So let's watch watch this story about how uh, Joshua leads them. The Faithful Hall of Fame, Joshua. This is Joshua. Joshua was the leader of the Israelites, who God would use to take his people into the promised land. Yeah, let's do it! 
Joshua readied his people to cross the Jordan River, which was the only thing dividing the Israelites from the land that God had promised to them. All right. We're here. Okay. They camped beside the river for three days, waiting, just as the Lord had commanded them. At this time of year, the Jordan River was flooded and flowing with so much water that it was impossible to cross on foot. And then the Lord said, let there be water. Hey, priest. Yeah. Come on. God told Joshua to tell the people that the priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people through the water. He told the priests to step into the rushing waters. Wait, huh? And when they would do this, the waters would stop flowing. Uh, all right. And as soon as the priests did this, the water of the Jordan River did stop flowing. Yeah. And the priests stood with the Ark of the Covenant on dry ground as the Israelites crossed to the other side. All right. God told Joshua to send 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel to take 12 stones from the place that the priests were standing. When all this had been finished as God commanded, Joshua called the priests from the Jordan. We're good, come on. As their feet left the Jordan River, the waters came back into place just as they had been. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. They brought their stones to their camp and set them as a memorial so future generations might remember the story of how God brought his people through the Jordan River on dry ground. Did you notice any similarities? What was similar there with the Egypt story? Anybody know? Anyone want to put their hand up now? I can't see you. Go on, Joel. Yeah, on both times, God parted the waters. First time the Red Sea, now they're parting the Jordan. And here are God's people again at a significant point in their history, crossing into a new season, and God has miraculously made a way through the water. Again, if you read the Bible account in Joshua 2, you will see even more similarities. Just like 40 years before, the Israelites send spies into the land, but this time they bring back positive reports. This time, the people have been following God in the desert for 40 years, relying on him every day to provide food for them, the manna. And with his help, they've started to win some battles. Because they've been walking with God, they've learned to trust him. And even the people who are living in the promised land have heard how powerful Israel's God is. God's people are ready to trust him and ready to take the land. Now... I'm not one to question God's wisdom, but I'm just wondering, was it really necessary to part the river? Does God have a bit of a thing for big bodies of water? Is this his party trick? Why didn't they come to the river at a different time when it wasn't in flood? Why didn't they spend some of those 40 years building a boat or a bridge? And I think um, the answer comes immediately next in the Bible. So we're going to look at this bit of the Bible together and have a think about what's the first thing God tells Joshua to tell the people to do. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. 
So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial for the people of Israel forever. They are barely into the promised land. The priests are still standing in the river, holding the ark, which has the tablets of the Ten Commandments in, when God says, build a memorial. Remember this day. Tell your children about this day. This is the generation who were children when they left Egypt or have been born since. This is their exodus. God can still stop waters, and he's faithful to his promise to take them into the promised land. God is still the waymaker and the promise keeper. They may have been delayed for 40 years, but here they are in the promised land. However, there are lots of challenges ahead for this people. They're in the promised land, but they still have to fight the other nations for it. And in the years ahead, they're going to need to remember what God is like and to trust him. And they need to tell the next generation, their children, about God's faithfulness. The parting of the River Jordan wasn't just the quickest way into Canaan. It was a sign of God's power and his faithfulness. And not just for the people who crossed over, but for everybody coming after them. Because they've built a memorial and they're going to tell people about it. And isn't this often the way with signs and wonders? As we read about Jesus and his followers in the New Testament, the signs, the miracles, aren't just for the people who were healed or helped, but they show us now what God is like and what he can do. Jesus can make food for 5,000 people out of one packed lunch. Jesus can calm the storms. He can rule over the seas. Jesus can heal. Jesus can raise the dead. And I think often this is the purpose of God doing amazing things in our own lives. These aren't just things for us. They're things for us to share with each other and with our children, to remind all of us that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, and to encourage us to keep on trusting him. The pile of stones next to the Jordan is just one place in the Bible that God encourages his people to remember what he's done and what he's like and to teach the next generation. When the Israelites escaped from Egypt, God told them, celebrate the Passover every year. Remember what I've done and teach your children. That psalm that we used when Austin led us in at the beginning, it's just one example of a psalm that remembers what God did for his people and teaches it to the next generation. So what does it look like for us to remember what God has done and to teach it to the future generations? Kids, what can you learn from the grown-ups today? Um, I've asked a few people to come and share stories that they would like to pass on to the next generation. And when we share stories each week in Vineyard Kids, we have the God Spot. So I'm going to ask people to come and stand on the God Spot to tell us our story. And the first story is actually from a couple who are not here today. I asked Mick and Lynn Elias, some of you might know them, who planted this church 22 years ago, what they would like to pass on to the next generation. So Laura's going to come up and read that to us first. Thank you. Okay, so this is Mick and Lynn's words. At our very first service in a bar on Watermead, there was a lady who came with her son, and she had been suffering from ME for two years. The illness had robbed her of all her energy and the ability to attend school events, parties, sports activities, and things like that with her son. 
Anyway, at the end of a worship time and short preach, when Mick spoke about what he felt God had called us to be as a church, as a new church, namely a place of healing and forgiveness where everyone was welcome to come as they were and to experience God's touch on their lives, Mick invited people who needed God's touch on their lives to come forward for prayer. This lady did not want to get out of her seat. She didn't feel she had the energy and she didn't believe God would do anything in her life. But her son was so insistent and so desperate for her to go forward for prayer that eventually she gave in and went to the front. After a short prayer, she returned to her seat, though she did not feel any immediate change in her situation. However, when she woke up on the Monday morning, she felt she had much more energy. And as the day wore on, she did not wear out. For three further days, she continued to improve until all of her symptoms had gone. And she took her son ice skating for the first time in two years. As far as we know, she remains healed to this day. God is so good and so faithful. And over the 16 years we led the church, we saw many wonderful healings and how the love and forgiveness of God can change the lives of individuals and whole families. If the children know their God and have faith, like this woman's son did, then they can see signs and wonders and do mighty exploits in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Steve, have to come up. You don't normally get a spot, do you? It's very exciting. No, can I stay on the spot? That's the question. Okay, so um, this is a story, um, not about me, but about my uh, family. So uh, my father's family came from the Lake District, Cumberland or Cumbria, depending on how you know it. And um, they live near the coast. And when my father was about five or six years old, he and his um, parents, my grandparents, were on the beach in the summer. And my father at the time um, had polio, which is a disease that was quite common at the time, less so now. And he had to wear uh, leg calipers, braces on his legs uh, because of of that polio. And a man came up to my grandparents on the beach and said, "Um, I believe the Lord has told me that if you take your son into the water, he will be healed. And so they did. They weren't uh, particularly churchgoers or anything like that, um, but they just did it and he was healed. Now the interesting thing about this story is that my father never told me this story while he was alive. It was only after he died that his uh, sister, my aunt, told me about this story shortly before she died. Hands up if you're five years old. Anyone five years old? Gabriella. Great. So the five-year-olds have got the the famous ones today because this is a story about when my child was five years old. Um, He had a condition um, where he couldn't walk and um, lots of my friends said to me, you have to take him to this big meeting that was happening and it was called Catch the Fire. And we went along to this big meeting and there was thousands of people there and um, my child went forward for healing and he didn't get healed and he wanted to go back to the meeting later that evening and I said, I said to him, you can go back and we'll stay and you can stay up late as long as um, you come in the car with me and you have a sleep. So I had a bright green and orange Fiat Panda 
and it had no music in it. We didn't have a cassette recorder, certainly didn't have a CD player. We're talking quite a few years ago here. And um, there was no music in the car. So we drove around and um, he started to doze off. But then he suddenly woke up and said, Mum, turn the music up, turn the music up. And I said, we haven't got any music. We don't have music in the car. And he said, no, no, I can hear the music. Turn the music up. So I said, well, what can you hear? And he said, I can hear that song. He used to say those sorts of things to me a lot. He used to have dreams and used to say, I dreamt that dream. You know, you were in it. So you should know what I dreamt because you were in it. And he was saying, you, you know, that song. And I was saying, well, I don't know which song. Tell me which song. And he said, you know, the one about um, when God was in the, wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire um, and he wasn't in the wind. Um, but he was in the still small voice. It was an Ishmael song, if anyone knows Ishmael. And um, I just said to him, there's no music in the car, but angels must be singing to you because um, if you're hearing that song, then God is saying something to you. And that story has stayed with us because we've known God in the still small voice, in all the things that they've gone through and we've gone through and that's definitely one of my piles of stones um, that stays with me that God isn't always in the big things he's not always in the thousands of people and the big events but he's in the everyday still small voice so how do we learn from people who've come before we can tell our stories on a Sunday like this um But whether we are kids or adults, whether we've been friends with Jesus for a few weeks or 80 years, we can learn from those who've come before. We can all read in our Bibles and see what God is like and what he can do. We can find out about church history and what God has been doing through his church since Bible times. We can find out about the history of the vineyard movement or our church here. We can ask people to tell us their stories. And then we need to think about how we pass our stories on to the next generation or just our friends, the people around us. Share your stories wherever you are, in your connect groups, in your prayer triplets. Invite people over for meals and talk about God and what God has done. Children, come to give in your kids and tell us on the God spot what God has been doing in your life. Share your stories with friends. They don't even need to be Christians. (laughs) You can talk to everybody about Jesus, whether they know him not yet or not. Um, A couple of practical ideas. Some of the resources for today's service have come from the Kitchen Table Project, which is a Care for the Family project, encouraging people to host a big, sumptuous feast. So there are some of these over at the front. You can order these bigger and in bright colours from their website, but there are some examples there of just some activities. Host a meal, gather together and say, let's make a focus of talking about God together. Um, Invite some kids over, invite some older people over and just share your stories and talk about faith. If you're a parent or a carer or part of our uh, kids' team, I really recommend, and if you'll know this because I've been recommending it for the last three or four years, the Parenting Children for a Life of Faith book by Rachel Turner, um, which looks at lots of practical ways that we can just share our life with God with our children and show them for us what it means to be friends with Jesus. We will be running a connect group next term covering that video course. So if you're a parent or if you're got looking after kids, I'd really encourage you to get along to that. It's so helpful and so practical. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time um, filling in some slips of paper that you got and, I want, got and I want you to think about your own stories or something that you know to be true about God that you want to pass on and you might know already exactly what you want to say um, 
but I'm just aware there may be some people who are here today who just don't feel that they have a story. Perhaps you're new to following Jesus or you don't know Jesus as your friend yet and maybe you just need to be here today and hear these stories to know what is possible with God. Um, And the longer we walk with God, the more we see how faithful he is. That's why those of you who have walked longer with Jesus have so much to pass on. But maybe actually you're really struggling at the moment. I love this picture, which um, you might have seen doing the rounds on Facebook. It says, why we need each other to pray for one another. And I don't know if you can see what's going on there. Each person is having their turn to be carried by the other two. And um, perhaps you've walked with Jesus for a long time, but you've suffered a loss or a disappointment. And today you're doubting God's goodness. And you just need to hear these stories to remind you of his faithfulness. This image shows the importance of being part of a church family. And it's about prayer, but I think it's also about the way that we can share our own stories to encourage people who are in that place of needing to be carried. We all go through difficult seasons, and we need other people to come alongside us and to remind us of God's faithfulness. And as an aside, I think these are stories that we need to share too with our children and with each other. Life isn't always easy, and we just need to share the reality of life with God with each other. Um, so you have slips, which um, I'll give you some time at the end to think about writing on. Um, and when I started planning this service, I thought I was going to ask you to bring them all forward, and then I would take them away, and I would read them Invented Kids every week. And then I did the maths. And I think we're probably not quite at our normal numbers today, but I reckon we could have 350 slips. And if I read two of those every week, it would take us three and a half years um, to read them all. So that seemed like it wasn't perhaps a practical idea. And actually, then I felt God say, actually, I have another plan for your stories. And I think the challenge for us today is to share these stories in person with one another. So do write them on the slips. But then let's think about who can we encourage with this story? Um, And I just encourage you, feel free to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting to pass on your slip and your story to somebody else who's here this morning. It's going to be an encouraging story of what God is like and what God has done. So anybody who receives that is going to be encouraged. When we encourage the kids to share words, it's like, if it's a nice thing you're saying, it's not going to hurt anybody, even if it wasn't perhaps from God, it was just a nice idea that you had. But actually, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to share your specific story with somebody today, they might not just be encouraged, it might be a really significant moment for them. Or maybe you're thinking of somebody in your life that you could share your story with this week. Or maybe God is challenging you to host a meal, to think about in your family culture, how can we bring this idea of sharing God's stories into our home and make it part of our every week? Um, Kids, I have a challenge for you. I want you to find out as many stories as you can from the grown-ups in your life. Steal all the slips, but steal all the stories and find out what God has done for the people in your life. And then I would love you to come on a Sunday morning, stand on the God spot and tell us the stories of your family and the people that are around you. Um, If it takes us three and a half years to get through them all, just think about how many amazing things that we will have heard that God has done in our church and in our families.